What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Newt News. We are so excited to be joined today by Brooke Grimsley. Um, she's super plugged in with Cardinals Nation, and she's featured on 101 ESPN. Um, so really, it's such an honor to have her in studio with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I've been following along and listening to some of the podcasts, too. And I think I followed just about every single one of you guys individually. And I pay attention to all the hard work that you guys are doing, too. So congrats on that. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Um, so I think the first thing we wanted to ask about today was just a couple of like quick questions that we like to ask a lot of our guests. Um, we really want to know, like, who are your favorite Cardinals, um, both all time and currently? Oh, gosh. OK, so all time, I think I would have to say this is a tough one because there's a couple. Obviously, we know the rich Cardinals history. I had the pleasure of meeting Bob Gibson before he passed away. Uh, he, I was able to go to one of his street dedications. And so I've, I've heard so much about him. I know what how he changed the game obviously everything that he said in the Cardinals organizational history. And so when I got to meet him in person um, at a street dedication, that would just felt like, I don't know, meeting like a superhero. So I would say Bob Gibson, because I don't think that there's many athletes out there that can emulate what he has done and just his intensity and everything that he went through, especially during that time period. Um, I just think he was a very special human being. I have, I feel like I have a couple. I also got to meet Lou Brock before he passed away and uh, he was so nice and kind to everything that you would expect with that. But I think finally covering Albert Pujols for his final season with the Cardinals, just that incredible story and being able to see it all play out. It felt like after that all-star break that I was able to see Albert Pujols kind of, I would say like prime Albert Pujols almost. Liz, it just felt like that. It, it was incredible. And I would say currently, because I feel like I have to say this, but I'm a, a huge Lars Newbar fan. So it's very fitting I'm on this podcast because um, I'm the president. You know, you guys listen. We always joke around that I'm the president and CEO of the Lars Newbar fan club. Uh, he is a fantastic person and player. I think it's I, I have that shirt, too. I, I love that shirt. Um, and so I think he's a great player. He's somebody that a lot of those players in the clubhouse respect too. And yeah. he's really worked on getting involved in the community. He's a part of Adam Wainwright's big league impact. So I think that he's a great overall person and player. That's awesome. Yeah. You're doing the Lord's, the Lord's work promoting Lars Newbar. He is our. <laughs> I feel like everybody likes him too. So I, yeah. I don't know. I have to, there's every once in a while that I'll get like a text in on the text line on 101 ESPN where people are like, Oh, he's overrated. Mm. All that different kind of stuff. I'm like, we must be looking at something different. And obviously <laughs> the Cardinals have already hinted towards when they're looking to make some moves this off season. Lars is not going to be a part of that conversation unless it was something absolutely crazy that came across the table. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, going off that, do you have a favorite Lars Newbar story, maybe an interaction with him or just something that you heard uh, happen in the clubhouse? Um, gosh, Trying to think. Um, I think that uh, I'm trying to remember if there's one story in particular, but I just had a really good interview, like his big season where he was breaking out. And he's just a great personality, easy to get along with. And uh, he was actually a star quarterback in high school. And so I discussed that with him. I just think that that kind of correlation between him and what we've seen, what he's been able to do in the outfield I think that kind of has something to play with it, but um, he gets along so well with everybody in the clubhouse and is somebody that is like a personality that everybody gravitates to. 
That's awesome. Um, we also wanted to ask real quick, do you have any favorite players that aren't on the Cardinals? I know some of the people we've interviewed didn't grow up as Cardinals fans. Um, yeah. And also a favorite team that's not the Cardinals. Oh, a favorite team that's not the Cardinals. You guys are trying to get me in trouble, right? That's... <laughs> no, I know. You betrayed us. Well, so a little bit of background with me. Um, I grew up near Nashville, Tennessee, so it's sometimes just easier to say Nashville. But uh, we had a plethora of baseball talent coming out of there, especially Vandy baseball is what got me into baseball. So the Vandy boys, Tim Corbin, mm -hmm. everything that he has built with Vandy baseball, uh, that is what got me into baseball. So I would really follow a lot of where those players went. Uh, David Price, he's also from my hometown. So that was one of my favorite players, seeing all the places that he went to. A lot of people gravitate towards Braves in Tennessee. So I kind of like the Braves, but there was never a team in particular that I was like, this is my team. It was more of just following where some of the Vandy players went. But I would say currently Mookie Betts is one of my favorite players right now because Obviously, he's fantastic and uh, really, really good, but he's also from the area that I'm in. And so I remember when I was younger, he's he's about my age, but I remember when I was younger, a lot of guys that I went to school with played travel ball with them. And everybody was talking about Mookie Betts. Everybody was talking about how talented he was and just how special of a talent. So I think like I maybe just kind of that hometown sense or the fact that he's from the same area. I root for him a lot except for when he's playing the Cardinals, of course. <laughs> <laughs> See what I did there to save myself from that? <laughs> That's a wise move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, so I guess we'll get we'll get this question out of the way because we talked about Lars. Um, we have to ask everyone um, on the show this question. <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> um, yeah, I got it behind me, uh, as you can see. So Lars Newbar became best friends with uh, a certain other player who might happen to be a free agent this off season. And I just, I just got to get you. Is that who you're talking about? No. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, he's another guy that, that we should definitely go after. But um, so do you think the Cardinals have any shot of landing Otani, especially after um, the recent injury news and um, what's been going on with him? If he doesn't get Tommy John, then his, his value might be, might be a little bit less and he can still pitch. So. What are your thoughts on that? I would absolutely love for the Cardinals to be able to bring in Shohei Otani. I think the likelihood is probably low um, just because of the financial reasons. But um, having a player like Shohei Otani, there's been so much information coming out about when he plays and the cities that he go to, goes to, the amount of people who go to that to see him. I mean, he brings in a lot of revenue. So in my mind, it makes a lot of sense to bring a player of that caliber, a unicorn, if you will, once in a lifetime type player. Um, I just feel like probably the Cardinals are not going to spend that kind of money to get him. I would love it. Believe me, I've talked to Lars about it where I'm like, have you hyped up St. Louis enough? And so he he has him and Shohei have a really close relationship despite the language barrier because Lars does not speak Japanese that fluently. Japanese is a very hard language to learn. I, I know being part Japanese. And so um, it, I know that they are very, very close. He was close with a lot of the people from Team Japan and has great insight on all of them, including Yamamoto, Shohei and all that different kind of stuff. Um, I would love to see Shohei here. And I've said on the radio show that if he does, then I'll get a tattoo of Shohei as a unicorn, you know, like maybe kind of centaur, you know what I'm talking about? So there's that incentive that plus like the wow. free zoo, St. Louisans, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I wish it would happen, but I have a feeling that he's probably not uh, going to be something that they're going to be able to afford. That's a lot of signs pointing in the right direction. Um, that's pretty much the Andrew argument exactly, though, okay? Yeah. Like, so he makes a lot of money. He's a massive he marketing tool. Yeah. So what what number does his contract start with, especially after the injury? A lot of people before were saying six. I heard crazy people say seven. I feel like it's got to be a four or a five now. I could see it being a four and five, but then they probably are going to do a pretty good job convincing teams that what he's going to be able to bring value wise. I don't know. I mean, it's really tough to tell with this injury. I know that his camp is kind of making it seem like it's not going to be that big of an issue moving forward. But for any team, you've seen what happened with the Mets this season. Spending a lot of money doesn't guarantee a lot of wins. And so I think that will make a lot of teams more hesitant. I thought I thought it was interesting this past weekend, you know, the news, a lot of people making a lot to do with his locker already being cleaned out and all that kind of stuff. That's going to be something interesting to watch with the Angels because they could have tried to move him at the trade deadline and maybe try to get some stuff in return. And for him to possibly just walk away from the Angels, which it almost seems like that's going to happen. That seems like that's a huge misstep by the organization. Yeah, they got nothing back for him. It's it's terrible. And it they their future in order to try to contend and none of that works. And they waved all those guys. So, yeah, I did just think of one Lars Newt bar kind of funny story. Cause I, of course, like I, I went to Japan prior, sorry to go off the rails a little bit, but I went to Japan prior. So I know how excited they get about their athletes and how it's a huge part of the culture and different things like that. And Lars said when he got to Japan for the world baseball classic, He thought like, oh, I can just go outside and, you know, maybe just get something to eat and like look around. And he said as soon as he left his hotel room that he just got swarmed by people. Mm. I don't know if you saw those videos of when he arrived to Japan. He was like he wasn't expecting that much fuss around it. And it seems like Japan just really embraced him for him to be the first Japanese American to play for Team Japan they really embrace him. And I think he was a little bit worried and maybe some others too of how, if they would embrace him that way, but hmm. Japanese culture is so accepting in that way. And so it was just really exciting to see. And I think he's still dealing with like the new fandom and he shoots commercials in Clayton now too, or I don't know if you guys have seen that. They'll actually, his schedule's so busy, obviously with him playing that he will have to like shoot commercials for Japan here in town and so he's he's been pretty busy with that. Now he has like over a million follower followers or something like that. It's just he's like a superstar over there. That's something I felt like is really cool about him is you like you think of the Lars we knew coming up. And I was late to the Lars Newbar hype train. I was like fourth outfielder at best. Let's calm down a little bit. Yeah. Now I'm I'm like, I've got a front row seat now. Uh, but he seems like the exact same guy. And you would think with a trans- his career transforming seemingly overnight that that would get to someone's head, but it doesn't seem like it at all. No, not at all. I mean, I think that he, of course, likes some of the newfound fame because that adds more commercials and stuff, but he hasn't let any of that get to him. Uh, one thing that always stood out to me is, you know, players who make themselves available even after a loss and different mm-hmm. things like that, because you know, sometimes when you go to the clubhouse after a loss, it's a ghost town, right? Um, but he's one of the guys that will always make himself available to the media members, and he's willing to hold himself accountable and try to speak for the team. And to me, I think that shows a lot about his leadership qualities. 
That's really cool to see. I was in uh, Japan for a little bit, explore some of the baseball shops. And other than Otani, it was just all new bar stuff. So it, it, hey, if any mm -hmm. owner knows how much value the Japanese fans bring, I guess the DeWitts uh, know second only to, to the Angels. So yeah, something. there's a marketing <laughs> here. Exactly. I know. Can you imagine all the shirts sold of Otani and Lars Newbar just together and like all the promos you could do of them together? I think that would bring a lot of revenue in. Yeah, I'd buy that stuff for sure. <laughs> this, hey, we got to get back to the Cardinals, but one more Otani <laughs> question. If if you just had to put some money on it right now, where do you think he would end up signing? Because that's going to determine whoever Andrew roots for is his second team in <laughs> So. Hey, I, I already said if it's if it's anywhere in the NL Central, it's not happening. Like it's not. <laughs> I don't know if you have to worry about that one. I yeah, well, I don't know. If I can I've heard the Cubs thrown around, and that would just be yeah. so. Well, kind of on that too. The Cubs are actually very interested in a lot of the Japanese pitchers because I saw that they were one of the clubs that was actually looking at Yamamoto. So it seems like they're very into the Japanese pitching market, but. Um, if I had to put money on it, I feel like everybody's going to say Dodgers, right? I, I feel like that that's the one that makes the most sense. I think it either has to be Dodgers or Yankees. I think it's mm -hmm. going to be either one of those. Dodgers, you just know that they're willing to spend a lot of money. And there's been connections between the two, it seems like, for a while now. So it just feels like that could be the right fit. Mm -hmm. That'd be hard to deal with. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like <laughs> Dodgers need this offseason as more pitching oriented. And if his arm is <laughs> as hurt as it is then I was hoping that maybe they wouldn't be in on him because, you know, um, Bueller is not coming back from Tommy John right away. Kershaw's aging. He's been hurt a little bit. We don't know what's yeah. going on with Urias. He's probably not going to play again. A lot of those guys have gone down, and uh, I feel like they're going to be in, in on the pitching market and maybe less so in the Otani market. At least that, that's my hope. That's my hope. Yeah, That's a good point. It'd be interesting to see if there's potentially some early opt-outs in Otani's next deal too, because I don't know if teams are going to want to give out that $600 million, $500 million deal. Yeah. But if he signs like a 300, 400, that's like a eight year long deal, but with opt-outs after year two or three, once he shows he can pitch again, he might try to re-enter the market. If I'm, if I'm betting right now, I'm saying the Mariners. I think they're okay, the team. And that's, a, that's another good one. That's, that's another one that has possibly been a good fit. I know he has mentioned that he likes Seattle too. Yeah, and think about any rotation that doesn't need a starter right now. It's Seattle. They're like eight deep, and so they can they can afford to pay him all the money he wants to be a hitter, and then see if the pitching comes on top of it. So that's my bet right now. Dodgers seems seems like the likely one, but I'm gonna go off the wall there. I know I I like that better because it makes sense. But you know how the Dodgers are with like their money and how what they're willing mm -hmm. to spend. It just seems like never ending in a lot of ways. Yeah, and then with Urias, that's been. I know that we're about to get into pitching, but that was one that I thought would be a good fit for the Cardinals. And it made sense in a lot of ways. But then with everything that came out, there's absolutely no way, one, that it seems like he's going to be in the league anymore. And two, that the Cardinals would hopefully never touch a player like that anyways. Yeah, yeah I just, you know, the personality fit, it's just not going to work in St. Louis. Um, yeah. But the Mariners, Dodgers, that's all a great way to segue into the Cardinals pitching needs. The Cardinals apparently entered some, you know, early discussions with the Mariners about young starters. The news that came back was not really very encouraging. Um, I think a lot of people now believe the Cardinals are going to have to give up a lot more than initially thought to land some, you know, exciting young starting talent. Um, are there any like targets that you think the Cardinals should definitely be looking for both free agent and on the trade market? 
I think that there is a lot of possible good fits for the Cardinals. It's going to be how that they acquire them. Now, I've been big under the belief that they should spend, if you say, and I know that I'll get into this quote from John Moselock this past weekend, but if you say that you're going to be aggressive, you know, in the free agency this offseason, even with the performances that happened the second half of the season, late second half of the season, you're still going to be aggressive, then you should probably still do that. Because to me, with Miles Michaelis, this recent regression we've seen with him, I don't know if I trust him as even a number three. And I always saw him as your number three going into next season. But now he's kind of profiling more as like a four or five, even a five at times more recently. And if your pitching philosophy is going to go more in the way of swing and miss, then Miles Michaelis, he's not going to be necessarily that guy. You got to find some of that top end, like top of the rotation style guys, because you need more of that swing and miss. The thing that we've talked about so much on the morning show that I just think about too, is when you think about the Phillies last season, you had that two headed monster and the Cardinals need that. You don't have that answer going into next season. So I think some names that are intriguing, I know that Aaron Nola is not exactly sometimes fitting that profile, but I still think that that could be a good fit for the Cardinals. But then again, with the pitching market right now, we mentioned that Urias is now out of that discussion. Shohei Otani is out of this, that discussion. Aaron Nola's price, despite the season, is just going up and up and up. And then Dylan Cease is always another intriguing name, but that's going to have to come via a trade. And so who are you going to be willing to give up? It's going to have to be probably a Gorman, a Donovan, somebody like that, even a Tommy Edmond, and then maybe another pitching prospect like a Gordon Graceffo, because that stuff does not come easily. I know that they tried to float around on Dylan Carlos's name to possibly to get it, get back as a pitcher during the trade uh, trade deadline, but it's going to be ha- a guy that's going to be worth a lot more than Dylan Carlson's value that you're going to have to give up. So that's the position that the Cardinals are in. I do like Dylan Cease. Logan Gilbert, I know that you're talking about the Mariners. I think that that's another one that would be intriguing that has to come via the trade. And then when you look at the Japanese market, that's something that a lot of people keep looking into, too. I wish that the Cardinals would go out and get Yamamoto. I think that if you can't get Shohei Otani, Yamamoto is very intriguing. Um, He's going to be very expensive from everything that I've seen and deservingly so. But the Cardinals have proven that they're comfortable with getting players from the Japanese market. Miles Michaelis being another one of those stories of where they were able to get him from Japan. And you've seen how he's been able to be a fixture in their starting rotation will hopefully turn around next season. I think that those are some of the names that are the most intriguing to me that I think if you're going to have this new pitching philosophy moving forward and more, at least more of an emphasis on it, right? Less pitch to contact guys, more swing and miss. You're going to have to go out and get that and be aggressive in free agency, even though, you know, all these other teams are going to, too. Yeah, Yamamoto is a guy I've been a big proponent of. Um, he has just been so dominant in the Japanese league this year. And I know that that league's in a little bit of a dead ball era. We've talked about that. But his numbers still profile a lot better than pretty much anyone else. And I think aside from Otani, who's probably off the board as a pitcher now, that's the only real guy that fits the Cardinals' need for a real number one ace-type pitcher. And Aaron Nola... Like, he's been really good in the past, but he's shown some signs of regression that I'm a little bit concerned with. Um, And he's going to be really, really expensive. Um, So it's going to be really tough. Do you think there's any potential for the Cardinals to, like, maybe go out and swing a trade for a name that hasn't been floated around as much, like uh, like they did in years past with Goldschmidt, Arenado, 
a lot of teams didn't really know that those guys were available. Do you think Mo will be the first to call on on an on an arm that um, could profile as our ace? Yeah, I could possibly see that. I can see them finding ways to maybe get craftier. I just think that something that has to be different this offseason or even that we've seen in recent years at the trade deadline where they kind of get names that not necessarily were the most exciting, you know, some pitchers that maybe some people were passing over. I don't think he can have that same approach going into this season because there's too many question marks. You went into the season with question marks. So I feel like you almost need guys that you know for sure are going to be some of the names in the market you can't just do dancing in and out of saying, well, we tried and, you know, we we weren't able to, you know, lock down that person or the price. I think they had sticker shock last offseason when it came to pitchers. And that was a huge mistake. And I think that you can't just hope that you make it to the trade deadline and kind of get some of these names that aren't as big and hope that they work out and pan out for the rest of the season. And one of the other problems for the Cardinals, it's it's not really an easy way to quantify it, but just at first glance, and even when I think about it a little more, it feels like pretty much all of the good starting pitchers are concentrated on winning teams right now. There's not yes. really bad teams with starting talent that they're looking to unload. So that's really different than the Goldie and Arnato deals where those were bad teams and they were really looking to unload that superstar talent especially the Rockies, right? They wanted to get rid of that contract. Nolan Arenado didn't want to play there. I just don't see a lot of bad teams with good starters, even like the historically bad teams that develop good starters like Miami over the last couple of years, like they're a lot better and, and they want to contend. They're not going to just trade these arms away. So yeah. I don't like the fits are just not there, which is terrible for the Cardinals right now. It is because you're also in a position, you bring up Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. Those were no brainer trades, right? Like who yeah. in the world? Like, I mean, that was fantastic on John Mosellock to pull those off. So I know that a lot of people don't like John Mosellock sometimes, but you also have to give him credit when he does pull off these oh, great yeah. trades. And so that was a fantastic job by him. But now you worry about that window closing, right? With Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. And that's why I feel like this is such a huge offseason where even if the options are not there that we're all looking at, you still have to go out and be aggressive. And you also have the concern, too, of just one, how expensive things are. But two, as you mentioned, these guys are going to want to go to winning teams that are going in the offseason. They're not going to want to go to somewhere where they feel like there's a retooling situation, a rebuilding situation. And so then it's also convincing them that, yes, this is not going to take a one, two, three year thing, that this is going to happen this season or this coming season. Real quick. Is there any, are there any other pitchers you guys really want to talk about? I want to talk about the payroll situation next. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Um, so I know that John Mosellock in off seasons past has noted that the Cardinals are going to have more money to play with. Uh, in the coming years, but we really didn't see that last year. It was a little disappointing. Payroll jumped like, a, you know, a couple million bucks, which was a little shocking. I think a lot of us were hoping for a 30 or $40 million bump, even if that might've been a bit unrealistic, but now the Cardinals have a lot of money coming off the books between Wayno, some of these other guys that got traded, they're probably going to have upwards of 30 million, 35 million to spend. Do you think they're going to acquire like an elite starting pitcher via the free agent market because I think they have to with that that much money I feel like they have to too and I think at the end of the day some people need to remember that it's not Mosaic that is writing the checks and so it has to be yeah. something that is signed off by the DeWitts too so hopefully if they are comfortable and from what I understand you know Bill DeWitt Jr. is very 
competitive and wants another championship, especially in his lifetime. So I can see him signing off on that. I think another misconception is that a lot of people have is that, you know, that for whatever reason, I think some people think that Ballpark Village and other outside things might factor into the Cardinals revenue and what they're able to spend. Because I've seen that all over social media on X. I was going to say Twitter on X now where people are like, well, they have all this money coming in for Ballpark Village. That doesn't account into that. I think that one thing that is a little disappointing is that when you heard Mosellock and them talk about last season, that the money that they got in from Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina's last ride, that that was going to go more towards free agency. And look, Wilson Contreras was not cheap, right? But there weren't many people who were also bidding against him, uh, the Cardinals for him. And so they did spend a lot of money and they are willing to spend a lot of money. It's just the recent history of what we've seen. Sometimes that money is not spent wisely. So I think some people think they're not willing to spend money. And I'm sure in Mosaic's mind is like, yeah, we're, we are spending money. Look, like we spent $87.5 for Wilson Contreras. We spent this much money for other pitchers in the past. And you've seen how those haven't exactly panned out. It's getting that right fit this time. And I think that that's something that Mosellock, as he starts to transition into this new role into the Cardinals organization, I don't think that he wants that to be kind of what he's remembered for in the end, because he's a very prideful man and rightfully so because of what he's done for the Cardinals organization and how many championships he's also been a part of. But I think that they are going to spend a good amount of money. But I think that they're going to spend it wisely because they're also going to use things like the Mets and the Padres possibly as examples. And so will other teams of just because you spend a lot of money and we we saw the season doesn't guarantee you wins or team chemistry. I mean, the Padres, their pitching staff has been good. And then for whatever reason, you look at the names in the lineup and you're like, how is this not translating into more of a successful season? For whatever reason, it's not panning out personality-wise. Something's not there. With the Mets this season, they spent all that money on pitching and other things, and it did not pan out. I think the Cardinals see that and know that they have to kind of tread this lightly while also living up to their word that this is not going to be something that you have to wait for in 2026 or 2027 or later on, that this is something they have to fix this season. Now, how much money they're going to spend, that'll be interesting because I think I looked at it a few months ago and they actually starting pitching wise are pretty high up there in payroll for this season, which I think might be surprising for a lot of people, but they have, they have spent a lot of money starting pitching wise, but now you're going to have to do even more so because the only guaranteed spots you have for next season are Steven Matz and Miles Michaelis. But as you mentioned, numbers coming off the books too, that will help with that. Absolutely. Yeah, the Cardinals do have an expensive starting rotation when you consider the fact that Wainwright is a $17 million player. They just, it's because they don't have that young pitching talent that's yeah. pre arb. They don't have any starters right now that are pre arbitration. And when you don't have those guys who cost nothing, you're spending 10 million to 20 million on everybody. That's really expensive rotation. So that makes it a is. lot of sense. Do you see a way that the Cardinals can start developing those pre arb guys? There's a lot of guys in the upper minors. Um, that seem kind of promising between Graceffo, Tink Hens, Ian Bedell. Um, are there any of those guys that you think could take a step and maybe contribute as early as next season? Um, I think Tink Hens will be a part of this team next season. I've been saying that for a while now. I think that young core of Jordan Walker, Tink Hens, and Mason Wynn are going to be really exciting for years to come. And, and 
what role will he be in specifically? I think that possibly he could be another one of those pitchers in the conversation for being a closer for the Cardinals of the future. I mean, I think that there's a lot there talent-wise with Tank Henson and his abilities and what he's able to do. Gordon Rosefo has been intriguing this season because there's been, you know, some highs and some lows with yeah. him. I know that he battled injuries because I know that some people at various times the season are like, why don't we bring him up? Well, one, if you looked at his numbers, they weren't great at times. And then two, he also battled an injury. So that set him back a little bit. Um, I think that he's someone that's really intriguing. I wish that we could see him soon. And he was one of the names that I was hoping that maybe they would be a September call up so we could see a little bit of him. But I also understand with where the season's at and all that stuff right now, why maybe they wouldn't want to bring him up right now or right the second. Absolutely. Absolutely. But also, you have the additions of, I think, that are intriguing are Takoa Roby. Yes. He's, it seems like he's gotten, you know, a little bit more that first game after he, because remember, whenever they traded for him or he was part of that trade, that he was injured and they had to make sure that he could get back to baseball activities. That first game was not great, but he's really settled in since then. And then Drew Rom, we saw that that was a pretty good performance from him. He could be a part of your bullpen next season. I think that these trades, while you don't like to see Jordan Montgomery and Jack Flaherty go, especially Jack Flaherty, you don't get that many homegrown pitching talents. It feels like that more uh, as much anymore. I, you hate to see them go, but at the end of the day, the Cardinals knew where they were at the end of the se- at the season, and you knew that those two were for sure going to hit free agency at the end of the season. They weren't going to stick around, anything like that. I know that some people think that because I've gotten pushback on that with the text line where they're like, how did you know that they're like, why would you know that they were going to do that? It's like because one, Scott Boris is Jordan yeah. Montgomery's agent, and then Jack Flaherty How many times has he gone through arbitration with the organization? He's somebody who is definitely going to see his worth um, in free agency. So to get those players that they got back in return, I think is really huge for the Cardinals organization, because if you just think about it, they just gave away rentals for some players, some young talent that can eventually help your club moving forward. Yeah, the deadline was a masterclass by John Mosellock, in my opinion. I was singing his praises. Yeah. Um, also, we haven't <laughs> mentioned the pitchers that we got back from the Blue Jays. Kloffenstein has been really impressive at AAA, a bit inefficient. Um, and then Reversa has flipped the script like that. He came up, seemed like he really wasn't ready for AAA, and now he's strung together, I think, three excellent outings. He seems to have the swing and miss stuff, so maybe he factors in next year too. Yeah, and that was the biggest thing too is – you know, you're able to get some more pitching depth because this season there was times that Ollie Marmol, not saying that those young guys would have been ready for a call-up, but there is yeah. many times this season where Ollie Marmol really didn't have anybody that he could have gone to bullpen-wise to add some depth. So now that you have more of that pitching talent in there that you're developing and getting ready to go, I think that that's another positive to come out of this terrible season <laughs> for the Cardinals. Yeah. I wonder your thoughts on the Thomas Sedacy side of things too. Like does his emergence make you more comfortable giving up a Brendan Donovan, Tommy Edmond, one of those names in the off season, or I don't think people talk about this. Do you sell high on someone like him and use him as like a centerpiece type of a deal? I don't know if teams, other teams view him like that. Um, but I, I just think that's another part of this off se- or this trade deadline. When his name came through, people were like another infielder, what the heck, but he's just been on fire. Yeah, and I have been singing Thomas and JC's praises since he came over because just seeing how special the talent he is, 
Um, I think that one thing I did recently learn that maybe is a little bit concerning for the Cardinals when you're looking at, you know, possibly moving Brennan Donovan or Tommy Edmond or, you know, anybody else like that is they, from what I understand, some scouts believe that his arm is not exactly there yet. So defensively, that could be a little bit of a concern. And so that's not me saying that because I haven't been able to pay attention to every single game. I've obviously been following what he's been doing offensively. But when you hear that some Major League Baseball scouts are saying that his arm is not exactly there, I think that that can be a little bit of a concern. But you can also develop players. And so we've seen how things can work out with Jordan Walker, the strides that he has made defensively in the outfield. I don't think that that's necessarily a knock on him because from what everything I'm seeing offensively, he's right there. I think that Brendan Donovan and Tommy Edmond, their versatility is what's keeping him around. I don't know if Thomas and JC would be ready, ready for that jump just yet, or if they would feel comfortable enough with that just yet, because you're still developing Mason Wynn, right? And so yeah. by having a Tommy Edmond around and, you know, even a Brendan Donovan, that helps as Mason Wynn is still getting over that learning curve. We know that talent's there. We know what he's able to and capable to do defensively. By having Edmond and Donovan still around, you're able to kind of make sure that that pressure is not on Mason where he feels like he has to get this together at the major league level so quickly. And so I think that that's something that also helps Tommy Edmond and Brennan Donovan when it comes to mm. trade talks this offseason. But once again, if a Dylan Cease comes on the table, then I think that literally there's not going to be many names that they aren't willing to talk about. But we had Greg Amsinger on recently, and I just asked him to see if he thinks in some major league baseball teams' minds, if it's changed on who they're looking for and he still says Nolan Gorman is the number one name that all those teams are going to be asking for via trade. I just, I can't see them trade Nolan Gorman. <laughs> he is the most, in my opinion, at least like the most exciting power bat the Cardinals have produced in a long time. Um, I, I personally believe Gorman's going to hit 40 someday. I think he's going to lead his respective league, whether the NL or the AL in home runs at, at least one point in his career. I, I would be devastated to see him traded. If it can't be Gorman, do you think Tommy Edmond has the value? Because I think Tommy Edmond, in my opinion, is the guy that goes, especially if Donovan can play some shortstop to help Mason win. Like, it's not going to be great there, but he can do it. Um, mm -hmm. If that's possible, I would like to see Tommy Edmond traded. Do you think he has the value to obtain, like, a Dylan Cease in a package maybe, but could he be the headliner? I don't know if he, he could exactly be the headliner. Just because of the question marks offensively with him. Yeah. He is so talented. And Tommy Edmond is a fantastic person, player. Any team would be extremely lucky to have him. And that sounds silly to say, and I, I know I keep talking about personality, but that's also a factor when it comes to these teams. And when they're trading, they want to know what kind of guy that they're getting in their clubhouse. So any team would love to have a Tommy Edmond in their clubhouse. But I feel like from what I've understand, talking to Ollie Marmol and the Cardinals, they're really seeing Tommy Edmond as their center fielder moving forward. I know that Michael Gersh has mentioned that they see Victor Scott being their center fielder and who knows how soon that that will happen. But um, I think that Tommy Edmond offensively has some question marks that some teams might be a little bit hesitant on especially if he's going to be in the outfield. But, I mean, he's a gold glove winner, so there's also that. But I think offensively that might be a little hesitant. That's why I think that Nolan Gorman keeps being brought up. I think Brennan Donovan has value too, but with that injury that he's been dealing with, I can see teams being a little concerned about his name. Um, it wasn't. This isn't exactly a perfect segue, but you brought up Ollie. 
And I'm interested to hear your thoughts on uh, John Mozeliak's vote of confidence, the bringing back for 2024. Posted a story today about how I thought it was the right decision. I should not look at any more of the Twitter or Facebook comments because apparently I'm the worst thing since I don't know for saying that. But I'm a, I am just think it's too – personally, I think there's too much that went wrong this season depending on Ollie and a lot of the things like pitching out of his control. I don't know how a different manager wins you 18 more games and gets you to 90 wins at this team. I think he deserves another shot. I get the short leash side of things. But what are your thoughts, Brooke, on Ollie Marmol this season and his future with the club? Yeah, I, I read that article and I saw some of the comments. So <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Ugh, I always boy. I always like reading all that stuff and, and seeing comments. I have to remind myself, and this is probably like a good advice for, for any writer broadcaster, is the people who are typically like the loudest and most negative when they're being loudest are not exactly like the most sound of mind people because yeah. I can't think of many people in my inner circle who are just like shouting angrily at the clouds like about mm. every little thing or texting in like you know that oh that was terrible or something um but I think that with Ollie Marmol the frustration on the fan side would be that this is going to be historically one of the worst seasons that the Cardinals have experienced in their long history and so I feel like whoever the manager was was going to get a lot of flack so that kind of plays into your point a little bit as to John Mosellock's comments that was the right for him thing for him to say. And I wouldn't expect him to say anything different. That would be absolutely crazy while the season is still going on. If he was just like, no, we're going to can this guy at the end of the season, <laughs> like go ahead and pack your bags, Ollie, like you're done. But I think that John Mosellock has also taken accountability that this was more of a roster construction issue. And he has said that. Um, and maybe it's not the thing that everybody wants to hear, right? Like it's, People want even more. They want you to say, I'm sorry, and like this and that. But he has taken accountability for saying that this was a roster construction issue issue, and that this was the roster that Ali Marmal was handed. Now, my only you know thing that I would point to is some of the clubhouse issues that mm. you have seen this season with the Cardinals. And I think that that's something that does fall on the manager. If you look back, of course, I wasn't here for Tony Russa, but I love Tony Russa's stories. And um, having met him too, incredible everything that you would hope for. But Tony LaRusso would have this technique um, when it came to managing his clubhouse where he put two veterans that he knew were like the guys and he would put them in charge of things in the clubhouse. And he, there's always going to be things that happen, right? Guys are not going to like each other. Happens with every team, every club. It's in all of sports. Um, but he would put them in charge of it. And if they couldn't handle it, then he would get involved. But do you know how rarely that happened? It was very rare in Tony Russo's career. Um, I think that the clubhouse issues are something that we've seen this season. That's one thing that I think that could have been kept in maybe a little bit more handled behind closed doors. And that's something that even Mosaic said after that Tyler O'Neill incident at the very beginning of the season mm -hmm. is that that's something that probably could have been handled behind closed doors. I think with Ollie having talked to him many times, he's, so open and he wants people to know things where sometimes it's like, oh, you don't have to tell everybody all that stuff, you know? And I think that that's something that kind of comes back and has haunted him at certain times this season. But then again, it's commendable that you are so open and honest and you want people to understand your way of thinking. Um, but other than that, I think the biggest issue here was roster construction, which is completely out of Ollie's control. And there's nothing that he can do about that essentially, but next season, obviously 
is going to be a huge season for him because it sounds like based off Moselog's comments this past weekend that they are going to make some changes coaching wise. So Ollie's going to stay, but they're going to make some changes coaching wise. And if they're going to give more Ollie a leash on who are his coaches, then this will be more in his hands of what happens next season. And then I think that the heat is on, especially for him to kind of grow and develop and see how he handles next season. Because if they go out and get everything that you essentially needed that you didn't have this season, which is, you know, actual, you know, top of the rotation, starting pitchers and, you know, maybe even some different personnel coaching wise. Because remember, Matt Holiday was supposed to be his bench coach. And then you had Skip last season. So you had all this veteran presence around. And then all of a sudden that just all went away going into the season. And then even Maddox, you know, obviously going to the Rangers. So that's a lot of veteran voices that kind of exited and went to different places in the Cardinals organization. Um, I think, you know, moving forward, it's going to be a huge season for him next year. And I saw your article, Josh, and you made a really good point. Getting rid of Ollie doesn't change anything. You know, that's not getting rid of him is not going to do anything different because they have they have decided under, you know, Mosellock's era, especially this more recent era, is that they were going to go away from kind of those big managerial personalities like a Tony La Russa, where Tony La Russa is saying, I want this, I want that, I want this picture. Mike Schilt kind of started doing that mm. and we saw what happened with him. Um, and so it, getting rid of Ollie would not change anything. It, it would just be bringing in probably another, you know, somebody with Cardinals ties because they only want somebody with Cardinals ties and probably another first time manager. So then you're going to keep kind of running into these same issues, especially if you don't let that person kind of fully manage in the way that they want to, essentially. Yeah. You brought up two really great points about, um, ollie here brooke about the transparency first i feel like it's something that fans always want from a manager so like it's kind of interesting how much flack he gets for being so open about things um yeah. but to your point i think it's probably not the healthiest thing for the clubhouse at times and he's a young manager so maybe he's learning the ropes a little bit on that but then too like if people really believe the cardinals issues are an organizational thing and the front office has continued to fail off season after off season then you also can't in the same vein say that ollie should have done more with the roster that he's been given and that's why i'm so interested to see how this off season play, uh, plays out because if there's another letdown i think that's when i'm like i can't defend mosaic anymore i can't defend the front office anymore because they, they just can't deliver right now. And maybe they have in the past, but the present they're not. But if they do, then it flips the pressure flips back to the to Ollie and the clubhouse and the players to be like, okay, we put all the pieces in place. Now it's time to perform. I just think 2023 has been the prime example of what happens when you have such a glaring weakness on the pitching side. And I personally don't even blame Mosaic all that much for it because it feels like everyone besides Montgomery had worst case scenario season. Michaelis has been bad. Wainwright's been historically bad. Uh, Flaherty didn't bounce back. Matt's was injured. It's like not even one or two of them panned out like you would hope they did. Um, yeah. But he he can't. No excuses next time around. You have to get certainty. Sandy, I know you had something. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, it, sorry, just one extra point on that. But um, but that's the thing is that they didn't have that depth there. So yeah. of course you have to in that position you do have to think of every possible worst case scenario. Yeah. And because the thing is is it probably is going to happen, especially in pro sports, like worst case scenario is probably going to happen. Aaron Rodgers like snapping his Achilles tendon, oh. like where snaps in. It's just like, it's just, 
It's like you have to think of worst case scenario for every single situation because with sports, nothing is ever guaranteed. So I think they made the mistake this season or going into the season. You know, of course, you can't predict that everybody's going to have a down year. And that's not on them. That is more on the player's performance. And but I think that they were hoping that Jack Flaherty would be more like 2019, even early 2021 Jack Flaherty. I think that they were thinking Dakota Hudson would have done a little bit better in the minors early on where they could bring him back up into the conversation in case of an inner in injury. Um, I think that they were relying on too many question marks. And that's something that they've even said is you can't go into this season with a bunch of question marks, hoping that it pans out because this season proved that it doesn't, if anything. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Josh, I love what you said there um, about people being upset with Mosaic and, and Marmol at the same time. You at least alluded to that. I see that on Twitter all the time, or X, as it's called, as Brooke mentioned earlier, yeah. I see that all the time. These people that are upset at Mosaic and they're upset at Marmol. They say Mosaic built a bad roster, but Marmol managed it poorly. I think that's crazy. I think you have to pick a side here. Um, I, I tend to fall on the, the roster construction wasn't great. And I'm not an Ollie truther. This podcast has seen me flip a few times on how I feel about Ollie. I'm generally not an Ollie truther, but at the same time, I'm not wanting him out right away. And I think exactly what you said makes a lot of sense, Brooke, about if you remove Ollie, you're, you're not doing anything to really change anything. You know, the Cardinals are going to do the same thing. They're going to bring back a very similar manager. Um, and then you also brought something up that I wanted to discuss about his group of positional coaches. I don't think that gets talked about enough. I think some of the positional coaches this year have been really disappointing. Um, they just aren't really filling the shoes of the old staff. And again, maybe that's roster construction. Maybe this is me projecting something onto them that's not their fault. But seeing so many pitchers take a step backwards, and even younger guys like Palante, like, where did this come from? Like, what yeah. is not being unlocked in him that they figured out last year? Last year, he was doing something that felt very sustainable. He was throwing the ball way outside and way low constantly and getting swings at stuff, keeping it on the ground. All of a sudden this year, he has a home run problem. Where does that come from? You know, um, also guys who just aren't able to stay healthy when they were last year and the year before, like that's crazy to me. And so I think the positional coaches, seeing some of them move on is going to be a very good development for the Cardinals. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point because, you know, you had people leaving the organization that definitely brought a lot to the organization and skip being one of them. I think that, you know, losing him, I remember just even the way that he interacted with players, all he does this too. So, but I'm just saying like how, you know, skip was a lot more kind of hands-on going into BP things like that. Um, and even when you had Jeff Albert leaving, which I know I, every time I feel like I bring up his name, I feel like I have to, you know, be careful saying it because you know, it felt like that was like Voldemort's, Voldemort's name for a long time here in St. Louis, like where it's like you had to whisper it when you said it. But here's the thing about Jeff Albert is Jeff Albert, his hitting philosophy was something that uh, John Mosella kind of attached to himself. So his hitting philosophy was something that was not just used here in the majors, but was also something that Mosellock wanted to really have going on throughout the entire organization, minor league wise. So when Jeff Albert left, that sounds small, but that was something that that actually shook up a lot of what Mosellock kind of envisioned for the organization and something that Mosellock was kind of really attaching himself to was to be able to, you know, have Jeff Albert and, you know, his more analytical approach and just the way that he handled things. I know that they talked about, you know, video and stuff with him and how, 
you know, he the way that he utilized a lot of stuff was something that John Moselak really was kind of attaching to. It felt like his legacy in a lot of ways. And so that really shook up things within the organization, you know, when Jeff Albert decided to leave, because I don't think that Moselak was expecting that or necessarily wanted that, too. And so then you had that shakeup. Then you had Matt Holiday, which that's fantastic. That's almost like another hitting coach in itself is going to be, you yeah. know, coming being a part of your coaching staff. We know how close he is to Nolan Arenado. We know how close he is to so many people in Major League Baseball in general and how many players, too. I don't know why I was surprised by this. I didn't realize how many players that he works with in the league hitting wise, like he is like essentially, I mean, Scott Boris, I don't know if he's hired him or not, but he should be hired by Scott Boris to be one of his hitting consultants. But um, I think that having all that happen and with Maddox, I don't know if I can put him in the same category. I don't know if that was a surprise. I think they were wanting to kind of move on from Maddox's philosophy and bring in this new approach because, you know, with Dusty, they really liked his resume small, but they really liked his analytical approach. And I think that some people are surprised to know that Major League Baseball coaches do not make a lot of money. So it's really hard to kind of entice, you know, big names or somebody, you know, somebody with like a ton of experience. But they really liked what Dusty brought from an analytical side. And that's kind of what he's known for. It's funny. We had Adam Wainwright on, I think, like a few months ago when we asked him about Dusty. And he was like, you know, I thought at first I thought he was just a stats nerd. But, you know, there's like, you know, there's things that I utilize. And so a pitcher like Adam Wainwright can decipher between the noise of what he needs to listen to and what he doesn't need to listen to. Some of the younger pitchers, I could see how you've even seen with the hitters where if it's a little bit too much, then they get in their head a little bit. And Jordan Walker said it best the season when he kind of like blocked out some of that noise and just simplified everything that worked out for him. But I think coaching wise, they're going to make some changes. Mosellock hinted towards that and maybe bring in some guys that are more of what Ollie is looking for for his coaching staff. And that's another big reason why it's big for Ollie this coming season, because if this is more of his coaching staff, more of what he is looking for, then that's going to be a lot more on his shoulders and a lot more possible blame or even, you know, pat on the back for him. Yeah, um, I, I like how you mentioned all of the staffing changes. And I think another thing that's gone under the radar, I, people have talked about this, but the lack of the veterans um, in the clubhouse that were there last year like albert pools was helping so many of the young hitters like filter through the noise as you were saying like he can tell a yeah. hitter exactly what to do because he's been there and lived through every moment and i think uh the absence of, of yadier molina like i know everyone wants him to be the manager i just don't see that happening um he doesn't seem like the personality that the front office would go with but just to get him as like a consultant and make mound visits even i feel like would make such a difference because you saw dusty blake make a mound visit the other day and um i don't remember who it was but the pitcher immediately gave up a home run to castellanos um and that was just not a good look for for the coaching overall and i think we've seen that a lot more this season where you'll make a mound visit and it doesn't really help at all and as a Cardinal fan who's who's grown up watching nothing but Yadier Molina make mound visits like that that just never really happened before and it's it's disappointing 
Well, yeah, he handled every aspect of it. I mean, I got to luckily witness during, you know, Yachty's final years during spring training and they didn't need it. If you're talking about coaching staff wise too, they didn't need a catching coach or strategist or anything like that. They didn't need that because they had Yachty or Molina in their organization during spring training. They had, you know, kind of the coaches take the different position groups and Yachty was always handling the catching guys he was the one that was working with them because who else are you going to learn from and also witnessing Yachty's relationship with the pitching staff the way that he knew what worked for every single guy that's hard to replicate and the thing with bringing in Wilson and you know it's I always I feel so terrible for everything that's happened for Wilson this season he did not deserve any blame he didn't deserve to be the scapegoat but the way that he's handled all of this to me, that's somebody I want in the organization for a long time. Not many people can rise above the flames like that and come out stronger the way that he's handled. Everything is just a class act. Um, but I don't know. I can't tell with the Cardinals if they overvalued or undervalued Yachty's performance or mm-hmm. and what he brought to the organization. Now I say undervalued because obviously you would think, okay, Wilson's obviously not going to replace Yachty. Um, you might have probably brought in a catching consultant, especially if you've known Wilson's kind of prior history, nothing against him, but I think that everybody is kind of aware of like, you know, how, what the Cubs did, the Cubs brought in a coach to help Wilson Contreras. And that was something that led to him being successful. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Absolutely nothing wrong. That's maximizing the talent of your players. But then you could also say that maybe they overvalued it where they were just like, okay, we got to go find somebody that can replace Yachty, knowing that you could never place replace Yachty in, in a sense. And that's that's what's tough about that is that's hard to replicate. And then when it comes to Yachty possibly being a manager, I do know that he wants to be a manager. I don't know if he wants to be a manager of the Cardinals. It would make 100% sense. But you, you mentioned it there. It's going to have to be his way. Because if there's one thing that Yachty's always done, it's his way. And that's what's so special about him. And so he would need to be able to have full control of it. Because nothing else is going to entice him to leave Puerto Rico, where he is the owner of a basketball team he truly enjoys and enjoys you know being hands-on in that. So if, he, if he's going to be hands-on in a managerial role here, then that would make sense. But he's not going to just leave that behind. And then Albert having his experience, I think, was a huge part of the Cardinals' success last season because I got to see how he worked with players individually. Like he literally would take the time to just stop, review video with guys. He had his iPad, which I know everybody saw. He would stop and like with the iPad and review everything with guys. And BP, he would be breaking down things for certain guys, certain things that he noticed. He would give them advice, advice before they went up to bat. And that's hard to replace. And so then you have those two guys gone. And it's tough because Adam Wainwright is another great leader. And so is Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. But I think that with Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, they have spoken up at times this season. But I don't think that I think they're more lead by example, guys. And that's their approach and that's their leadership style. And there's nothing wrong with that. But this was definitely a season that called for more of like a Yachty personality where it's like, okay, we're not going to do this crap. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that Albert would always um, be um, with the players and, and saying that uh, we, we've all known that a lot of the hitters this season have had, had a down year. Goldschmidt's had a down year. Arenado's had a down year. But I think a lot of that can be attributed to, to more that they had, 
all really good years last year. Like Paul Goldschmidt had a career year, won the MVP. Arenado finished third, I think, and he played above his career numbers. So I think Albert probably had a lot to do with even those veteran guys' improvement. And yeah, for him not to be there this year and to also have a down year, it's just really, really unfortunate to see. Although we did see a video in the World Baseball Classic of a certain someone uh, uh, rallying his entire country to to beat the U.S. But, you know, it's it's fine. <laughs> if, we, if we need a guy, give an inspirational speech. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I yeah I think with the with Albert he he brought a lot of value to this club and I don't think anybody was expecting him to do all that last season but he definitely brought a lot of value and so did Yadier Molina even though there was times that he wasn't around that much last season which has been another argument to that point um it's just that he either way they they broke they both brought a lot to the table and that's hard to replicate. And also Nolan Arnado was like a kid in the candy store having Albert Pujols there. I mean, he was, remember during the Zoom era, as we're doing right now, um, before Albert came, he made that pitch to bring Albert Pujols back to St. Louis. And then that happened. I mean, Nolan really enjoyed having Albert Pujols around. They were super close. Yeah. So with Albert and Yachty being gone for a full year now, and we're seeing Adam Wainwright kind of the last, that old guard, you know, almost certainly retiring after this season. Is there anybody you think can step up and be a leader outside of Goldie and Arnado? That's expected of them. Is there anybody else you see functioning as a natural leader on this team next year? Um, I think that Miles Michaelis on the pitching side is somebody that is kind of being a lot more. He's always been vocal. Miles is hilarious, but um, he's he's always been vocal, but it seems like he's taking even more of that kind of leadership role amongst the pitching staff, um, at least from what I've observed. And then you mentioned Nolan and Paul Goldschmidt. Andrew Kisner is another one that a lot of the players really like. I know they kind of named him the captain. Yes. And Lars Newbar is another one that I think is very respected in that clubhouse as well as a leader. So there's several different leaders. I think that you know, a lot of different personalities, different things like that. But I see that it will probably be like that group. Jordan Walker actually is kind of another one, even though he's so young, he definitely has all those leadership capabilities and is willing to speak up and different things like that. Um, and then Mason Wynn is kind of a fun, fiery personality, almost reminds me not as much like Harrison Bader, like not too much like Harrison Bader, but very similar, just kind of like that have that swag about them, you know? Um, so I think that there's several guys that are kind of emerging as more and more of leaders. I would, I would personally like Wilson Contreras, which he is a leader, but I'm saying where he is able to even take more so of that leadership role. And so from what I understand, everything in the clubhouse is good between everybody now, from what I'm told. Um, but I think that Wilson is best when you let him have that kind of a fiery personality and let him kind of help command the room. Well, it's good to hear that the team is going to be in really good hands, especially with, you know, some of the controversy surrounding Ali, at least among the fan base. It's good to know that there are like strong players with strong personalities in the locker room to kind of steady the ship. Yeah. Yep. There's a lot of personalities in there. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are pushing the one hour mark here. If anyone has any final questions that they want to ask Brooke, uh, this would be a great time to get those out there. 
think we covered a lot. It was a really well, good conversation. Thank you so much for yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, you. did we did we brush on at all the Aaron Nola conversation? I, I uh, yeah. That. Okay. Oh, oh, are you talking about like wanting to ask about that interview the other day? Did want yeah, we which I, we're brushing up on time, so don't feel like you need to go in depth. But I feel no, like that's something okay. that's really cool. Yeah, no, I can talk about it. Um, yeah, so the Aaron Nola thing, I think a lot of people were surprised. Where they're like, "What does this mean? Does this mean he's coming yeah. to St. Louis?" I I got DMs from people like all over the place. They were just like, "Why did you guys? Why did he come on your show? Like, is he going to St. Louis?" And people ask me about that. Um, bare bad news. It was more because he's involved with Big League Impact, and so Big League Impact is great about coming on our show and bringing on players to promote. Like we've had Tommy Edmond on. Obviously, we do Wednesdays with Wayno, and so since Aaron Nola is in town, the, they were like, "Do you want to talk to Aaron Nola?" And we're like, "Yeah, of course." And so we have to mention Big League Impact with him to make it make sense. But um, yeah, it's, I think I was surprised that he was coming on because just because sometimes, you know, with promoting charities, they'll be like, yeah, they'll be fine, but I can't do it. Like he was pitching that day. And so I think that that says a lot about him, that he was willing to come on and speak. Maybe that means something that he knows that St. Louis is one of the teams that's interested. And so he kind of wanted St. Louisans to possibly hear him. I don't think that that would be a crazy concept. Um, but it was a fun interview. He was super nice. He was very open um, from everything that I've read. He's also very open about his, you know, season that he's had, which you guys mentioned earlier, is, hasn't been exactly the best. And so I always like when players are available because I'm interviewing them. And so availability is fantastic. Um, and then to willing to own up to their mistakes and not pretend like something's not happening. And he was super nice. And I joked before the interview too, that I would try to sneak in some St. Louis fun facts and see if I could just like subliminally, you know, push some St. Louis stuff on him. And so he walked right into it because like he brought up to Randy, like, Oh, I have some free time. And I was like, well, there's this, you know, forest park and a free zoo. And he was like, Oh, that sounds good. And my producer in the background was like, absolutely losing it. <laughs> he thought it was the funniest thing on earth. But um, yeah, that's how we got that interview was mostly because he was promoting big league impact, which he has that relationship with Kyle Gibson. That's why he's involved, but also because of that has gotten to know um, Wainwright as well. That's so cool. Well, it's good to hear that you were kind of sneaking the St. Louis on him. That's what we yeah. need. You know, sprinkle it in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Subliminal we messaging. To, <laughs> we would love to see Nola in a Cardinals uniform next year. Um, but we wanted to just say thank you so much for coming on the show with us. We really enjoyed getting to have this conversation with you, Brooke. Yeah, thank you guys so much. And like I said, keep up all the good work and hopefully show Hey Otani. You're on this side on me. So that's why I'm pointing this way. Hopefully, <laughs> show Hey Otani will come to St. Louis. If it happens, you and I, we're celebrating. We're going to we're gonna hit the streets and celebrate that because that would be incredible. <laughs> hey, we got an Otani party lined up. If that, if that ever happens, you're invited. <laughs> yes, that's what I like. Yes. Yeah. Katie Wu promised uh, to have a party with Andrew if Otani came. So I'm sure there'd be a lot of people there. It'd be pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. A giant celebration. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this episode of Newt News. It's absolutely been a blast, as we just said, to have Brooke on. Um, we have more exciting things lined up for you guys in the next few weeks. And remember, if you have any questions, um, we are always you know, down to ask our guests and then also just talk about them ourselves. So please leave them in the comments or interact with us on Twitter 
uh, which is X, whatever, uh, Instagram or, you know, anywhere that you find your podcast. So thanks everybody for tuning in.